class that starts in like 50 minutes, so we're short for time. So sorry to cut off conversations, but we got to try to get moving. Pastor said I'm not allowed to be long-winded. All right, so why don't we stand to our feet. If you have a Bible with you or on your phone, turn to Romans chapter 6, uh, verse 16 through 19. Romans 6, verse 16 through 19. It says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart, everyone say from the heart, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. So if I can stop right here, Paul is pretty much praising them. He's saying you've done a great job, you've, that God's converted you through a proper doctrine and that through sincerity and through your heart, you were actually converted from a slave to sin to a slave to righteousness. Is everyone with me? And so, so he says, God, so uh, verse 18, excuse me. And having been set free from sin, so past tense, they've already been set free. You became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, just as you presented your uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your slaves, or your members, Excuse me, your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So he's, he's, this is grammatically incorrect. Are we cut, cutting in and out? Okay, I can try to go without the mic if we need to. But notice that he says that you had already been converted by obeying proper doctrine. And then at the end, he compels them. He says, so now, and he's, he's, he's now urging them to continue in doing this. And... I had a lesson prepared, and I was just ready, about ready to not teach it because it could be taken the wrong way if I'm just being transparent. And then pastor got up this morning and preached like identical to what I was feeling in the Holy Ghost, and so I'm going to teach it. Um, but that scripture right there, you can circle it in your Bibles. That's exactly what pastor was preaching. Um, if you can kind of look between the lines that you've come so far, you've been converted, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost. God has done so much in your life. He's cast vision and cast power and, and, and you know, he's been a wind at your back for so long. And so there's a, it's biblical to continually compel. Now, come on, keep going, go deeper. Um, you know, from, Paul talks about from lewdness to lewdness in your old life. And so now it's from righteousness for holiness. It's a continual pursuit of God. Amen? So let's pray in and I'll let you guys be seated. Lord Jesus... I pray, God, that you would lead us tonight, that your will would be done in this house, God. Lord Jesus, we are your people, and we are completely dependent, Lord, on your power to live an overcoming life, God, and to be a catalyst for revival in our homes, to be a catalyst for revival in our schools and in our workplaces, God. I pray, Lord, that you would move in this house, God, and that you would help me, Lord, as I endeavor to, to preach your word, Lord. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so tonight I'm talking about God's if-then principle. Has anyone heard of that? The if-then principle. It's all over the Bible. 
So, and these are rhetorical questions, so nobody shout out the answers. What happens after death? Is there purpose to my existence? Why am I here? Does it even matter what I do with my life? Has anyone ever asked these questions before? Some of these questions are what compelled me to come to church. These pointed questions have plagued mankind for millennia. They have shut the mouths of the wisest of philosophers and stumped the most brilliant of minds. But these questions, along with countless others, are confronted and answered plainly in the timeless word of God. Is anyone thankful for that? From the smallest of issues to the grandest of philosophical endeavors, the word of God stands to answer them all. Now listen to this. This is incredible. The word of God, does anyone have a Bible to hold up and wave? The word of God is a miracle. That's a tablet, Pastor. (laughs) Uh, The word of God is truly a miracle. If somebody says they need need proof for God, they just need to dig into how the Bible was composed. And I'm going to go into some of those stats briefly. And forgive me, I'm reading a monologue here. I know that can be boring, um, but this is how God gave it to me, so this is how I'm preaching it. Um, So the Bible was composed by some 40 different authors from three different continents spanning a lifetime of 2,000 years. And counter to common logic, there is a seamless and distinct unity found in all of its pages. One chapter leads to the next, one book leads to the next, from Old Testament to New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, was written in 2,000 years, 40 different people contributed on three different continents, and it's all a perfect love story of the truth of God's word and his love for us. This is a, this is, do not discount that, that is an absolute miracle. There can be no other explanation behind this perfect unity and storyline of Scripture other than the fact that it has been the eternal and living God present in the mind of each one of those writers, dictating every word that they penned. The 66 books of the Bible exist contrary to nature and are nothing short of a miracle. Yet here they are, alive and just as powerful as ever. Is anyone thankful for that? I look around and see byproducts of what the Word of God uh, produces. I see fulfilled promises when I look around. The Word of God says He's a healer. I look around and I see people that have been healed. The Word of God says that He will, he will bring beauty from ashes. I look around and I see people's lives that were a wreck. And now they're producing something beautiful because of the power and anointing of the Holy Ghost through His Word. Amen. I love His Word so much. Sitting next to you in your pew is the most powerful item on the face of the earth. The, wor- the Word of God. Excuse me. More powerful than any military ever assembled, than any nuclear bomb ever constructed, than any limitation of your flesh, than any cancer or disease, than any addiction or infirmity, or than any weapon formed by the enemy. From a poor man seeking how to make a living, to a king seeking the answers on how to run a kingdom. From those born in a mansion to those born in an orphanage. From the greatest to the least, the word of God is equally relevant and valid for them all. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 8 says, Where the word of a king is, does anyone know that? It finishes. There is power. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And so we can, we can naturally assume where the word of the almighty king is, there is almighty power. And we see all throughout the Bible men and women that submitted themselves and stooped before the the throne of God. And we see the power of God fill their lives and radically transform everything around them. 
We see walls of kingdoms being made low like in Jericho. We see uh, the mouths of lions being shut in Daniel's lion's den. We see God moving in accordance to his word. And we have to understand that, that this is a principle in the word of God and that the power of God is in his word. Someone say the power of God is in his word. Amen. Hebrews 11 and 3, pastor talked about this. Not this specific scripture, but he talked about this principle. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Pastor showed in Genesis chapter 1 how we see a darkness. Some people say it's the gap theory between Genesis 1.1 and 1.2. I don't know, but I know that it was definitely formless and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. It was, it was a wreck. And we know God doesn't create things like that, so most likely something took place. Um, but pastor talks about the, the type and shadow, correct me if I'm wrong, but this morning, the type and shadow of God recreating uh, the physical reality by his spoken word, the six days of creation, ending with the climax of creating Adam and Eve, and how that's a parallel for the word of God in our lives, how God wants to use his word and leverage it to be a wind at your back and to take you by the hand spiritually and walk you through life and cause you to see fulfilled promises, and cause you to see his will done. Amen. But it's season for season. It's not, the, you know, the first season that you get into to church, you, you diligently apply it, and then all of a sudden you kind of understand it, and you can kind of fade away from it. How many of you know you can read the same scripture a thousand times and get something different every time? That's because it's alive. It seems like I heard someone say that a time or two. The scriptures are alive and they will minister to you where you are. And God has a new revelation for you in each season of life. It's very important that we walk with him. And I feel like if I can just, hey, Matt, can we turn this down a little bit? I'm going to be like talking from here before long. You're good. Thank you, brother. Um, I, what I feel in the spirit, I'm just going to be, be frank about this. And I, and I know we're crunched for time, so I'm going to try to hurry here, but... Would anyone be bold enough to admit that they've had a hard time recently believing God for the supernatural? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Um, I stuck my hand in my pocket, so I didn't raise my hand. But I feel like God um, gave me an insight on this today when Pastor was preaching, and I, I really felt that, and I saw it. I, could, it it's, I know when the Lord shows me something, and, and the Lord showed me this, and he showed me that specific people are having a hard time believing for for the supernatural and I would I would even um, say maybe that I was one of them and and I felt like the Lord showed me that the reason that that happens is when we fall away from from the word of God and what do you know the man of God what word did he give us today go back into the word jump head first into the deep things of the word and diligently uh, study it and apply it and, and hunger and thirst after it and I really felt like the Lord said that is the answer you can't, there's no way to walk by faith and not by sight apart from his word. Because, in my opinion, the reason that is is because there's constantly worldly spirits that are trying to speak to you, try to influence you. Maybe it's not a demon whispering in your ear, but there's, in the mediums of this world, they're evil. And they're trying to influence you and, and, and um, change the trajectory of your life and, 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 and increase... Um, you know, carnality and, and cause you to go astray. And so it's very important that we come to the word of God every single day and allow him to lead us and guide us and to counter the things that the devil wants us to, to believe. And so if we get away from this lifeblood, 
it all of a sudden becomes really hard to believe God. Not that we don't trust God, and not that I don't believe God for pastor. I mean, I know, I know enough about God to know that he can do it for pastor. <laughs> Brother Robinette over there, yeah, God's going to do it for him for sure. But if I'm not in the word for myself, then I can't believe it for me and my family. And it's the will of God that we believe it for us and our families, and that it starts, that that revival starts in your own heart and spills out into your own home. And then from there and only from there overflows into the church, overflows from these four walls and goes out into the city. And that's how it's got to happen. And we see God do this, uh, loosing his power in the lives of individuals. We see God do this through covenants all throughout the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, we see God use the medium of covenants to do this. And there is a structure to God's covenants. From Genesis to Revelation, again, that you can read every single one of his structures, or every single one of his covenants, excuse me. There is this same structure present. And that structure is what I'm, the main thing I'm talking about tonight, and that's the if-then principle. God says, if you will do this, then I will do this. You can see it very clearly. And this is, a lot of people want to say, that yeah, that's Old Testament, now it's by grace. No, the bar's been raised in the New Testament. Now it's no longer, I'm going to tell you every single step of the way of what you have to do, and I'm going to make it real easy for you. You just learn what I'm writing here, and you're going to, you're going to do what I say. Now God says, I don't want a bunch of robots serving me. What are you going to do out of the own abundance of love you have for me? Are you going to still cons- be consumed by my spirit? Are you still going to allow me into every crevice of your life, even away from the church house, when you're sitting down eating a meal or whenever you're sitting at your desk at your 9 to 5 working or or whatever it is? So the bar is raised to the Old Testament. 100% it's raised. And and I think that it's a lie of the devil. I don't think I know for a fact it's a lie of the devil that this this covenant of grace neglects our own actions. Um, I thank God that we're in a church that that's not a prevalent thought, so maybe some of you guys are like, you know, yeah, I could kind of see that, but how many of you brush shoulders with people uh, daily at work that say they're a Christian, and you would not be able to tell? I mean, I work with guys that they cuss nonstop. I mean, nonstop, all day long, and then they'll talk to me about the Holy Spirit, and they got their church, their kids in, in church, and how we shouldn't be judging people, and I'm like, what doctrine of demons have you prescribed to? Because that's exactly what that is. Pastor talked about that. And that is exactly what that is. And I'm so thankful that I'm not a part of something like that. And it's not too late for them either. We need to be lights to them. Um, but I'm, it's something to be grateful of that God has led us to a place that is separate from that type of foolishness. Because the human heart's uh, desperately wicked. Jonathan was just talking about this. And none of us are above being deceived. And so when you're surrounded with something like that, you know, it's easy to be, become deceived. So I'm going on a tangent, but I'm so thankful that we're not in a church like that. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9 through 12, or 9 and 12. This is the if then. Uh, Deuteronomy 7 and. 9 reads, Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with who? He, he categorizes it right here. He keeps covenant. Has anyone heard the song, um, Covenant Keeping God? Such a powerful song. 
Um, but it turns out you have to do something in order for him to keep that covenant. And it's, it's, it's plain as day. He says, he keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. I jump down to verse uh, 12. Because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, this is the Mosaic law, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. So it's almost like God saying, listen, I'm going to step back now that you have all the understanding, now that you know, and I'm just going to wait and see how you live your life. If you do this, then this will happen. We can go to chapter 28. Um, I'll, I'll give a par paraphrase that because, again, we're short on time. But if you go to chapter 28, it gets a lot more detail. He says, again, if you obey these judgments and if you do these commandments, then I will bless you. And he talks about all the blessings. And it goes on for like 10 to 12 verses about what God will do in response to their behavior. And then he, he cuts that off and he says, now, if you don't do what I'm commanding you, and you, you hear and understand the, the law of Moses, but yet you choose to reject it. I don't care what you say out of your mouth, but according to what you do then, and then he goes into a bunch of curses. And by the way, they're like three times longer than the blessings. And, and so God, there's a definitive if-then in every covenant. We can go uh, briefly to Leviticus 18 and 5. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. And this is still Mosaic law. We're going to get to New Testament here pretty quick. So shall you keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live. Someone say live. By which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. So we're, we're seeing here that he uses a specific word. What word is that? Any guesses? Live. And this word specifically means to revive or to save life. This word, and you can look it up, Leviticus 18.5. Check me on this. I hope that you do. It's a great study right here. Leviticus 18.5. That word live, it's not just like somebody's living their life as, you know, contrary to a physical dead person and a physically alive person. No, this, this word insinuates a supernatural resurrection they did something deserving of death and they're being spared by God that God is choosing to impart life to them and we see this word for live in uh, the fiery serpent um, story in numbers I believe it's chapter 22 and whenever he says you know does everyone know the story this is after discipleship too so I'm assuming everyone knows the story of the fiery serpents powerful when you parallel it with John 3 um which we're not going to do. But that same word is used whenever he says anyone, so he tells Moses, put the bronze serpent on the pole and lift it up, and anyone that looks on the serpent, though he's bitten with a venomous snake, he will live. The word for live there is the same word. And so it means that they were bit, they were on a track to death, but because they, did, because they obeyed the word of God, that life was imparted to them. So it insinuates resurrection. The circumstance, the natural circumstance, should produce death, but God is intervening to spare and produce life. 
Now, this is God, again, in context. Leviticus 18.5, he's saying, The man that lives by my word, the man that lives by the word of God in the constraints of my covenant, that man will live. And so Jeremy always talks about, or at least he has talked about, the law of first mention. Do you always talk about it, or did you mention it just one time like five years ago, and I remembered it? Yeah. Well, it's it's powerful. So the first time this word's mentioned is Genesis chapter 3:22. And I want you to pay attention here because this is this is very important. So the man has now become like one of us. This is after the fall and this is God talking. Knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. It's the same word right there, live. And so what, when at that moment, God said, they have, they have fallen, they're in sin, and now they're going to die. And so we're going to kick them out of the garden so that they do not take the tree of good and evil and live. Okay, that, that same word. So they're not resurrected in a, in a sense, and they would not die. They would live forever, as the scriptures teach. And so he kicked them out of the garden. But then we see through the covenant in the Old Testament that through the word of God and through obedience to his word, God is bringing us back into the garden and imparting that life to us that the devil stole. Now, I could talk about that for you know a full study by itself, and we don't have time to, to go over it, but it is extremely important that we understand that, that God is in sense whenever we're obeying his commands, because this is, you know, Old Testament law, but there was plenty of people that were born in the Old Testament and died in the Old Testament. And so God provided a way for, for them to get to heaven. Amen. And so when we understand the word of God and do it, it imparts life to us. So consistent obedience to God's word endues your life with resurrection power. So I'm going to read two Old Testament scriptures, and then we're shifting to the New Testament. So Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Here's that power entering into this man's life that delights in the law of God. He's a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Does anyone want that? Whatever he does will prosper. And it's talking about the man that delights in the law of God and that does the word of God. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. Pastor said he couldn't get to Joshua, so we're going to get there real quick. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. There's many scriptures like this, but it's very clear in the scriptures that it's all about what do we do with what we know. It's, you know, we can come, we can understand, we can study and just have a head knowledge but at the end of the day, it's translated to wisdom whenever it enters into your life and it dictates your actions. And so God's saying that it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't even matter what you know. What matters is what you do. But whenever you, you come up under my word and submit to my word and do what it says, then I will bless you coming and going. 
then you'll be a tree planted by waters. Then I'll make your way prosperous. Then anything you do will be blessed. That's why pastor, I don't want to put him on the spot, but that's why he lives such a blessed life. Because ever since he's been, was it 17, 16, 17? He's given himself over to that. There wasn't, there wasn't, you know, five years of being on fire for knowing the word of God and then kind of fading away and just thinking, you know, I understand now what God wants me to do. No, it's a daily digging into the scriptures and, and digging into the things of God and digging into prayer. And that's why we see the byproduct of that's a blessed life. That's what the scriptures teach plainly. When we treasure his word, God will pick you out of a crowd. When you call out to him, he will stop and tend to your cries. You will become elevated in favor and status with God. And this is not just Old Testament. As I promised, we're going to New Testament. Someone turn to chapter, excuse me, John 15. No, I'm sorry. That's supposed to be 14. John chapter 14, verse 15. And so remember, we're talking about the if-then principle. And we saw it in the Mosaic Law, which many people would say, I don't need somebody to teach me a Bible study about that. I understand in the Old Testament... It was all about what they did. And so let's look at the New Testament. So John 14, verse 15. And it's, I'm going to read through 17. If you love me, then what? Keep my commandments. It sounds a lot like God from Sinai, doesn't it? It turns out that was God in the flesh. If you love me, then keep my commandments. And according to the, the structure of the covenant, then there's going to be something that happens in, in relation to this. Just like before, if you do this, then I'll bless you. He goes through and talks about the blessings. Let's see what the blessings of the new covenant is. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. So the apex of the new covenant is what? Any guesses? Baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's the apex of the new covenant. And this is, this is intentionally echoes the God of the Old Testament because it was the God of the Old Testament in the flesh. Now, jumping back just two verses, you can also see, and this is in context, what the, what the we call it benefits or blessings of doing this, expressing our love to Jesus through obedience to his commands. In verse 12 through 14, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works... And by the way, when the Bible talks about belief, and I'm preaching in the choir, I'm well aware. A bunch of oneness Pentecostals understand this, but I can't pass this over without mentioning this. When the Bible talks about believe, it insinuates action. You can't... I use the... the and I'm sure I've probably heard this from pastor, but I use this example all the time. Someone runs in there and says, there is a fire and you better take off because it's burning hot out there and it's moving this direction. And I say, all right, brother, that's good stuff. I appreciate that. See ya. <laughs> and then keep teaching. Did I believe him? No. I could tell everyone, I believe it. I believe it. I prayed that prayer. I know. I believe. But true saving faith is going to change how I walk. It's going to change my response. It's going to change what I do. And so when Jesus says, he who believes in me, this is going to happen, what he's saying is he who is radically sold out to my word. He who expresses his love to me through obedience to my commandments. He who digs into the scriptures daily. He who digs into prayer daily. So he says, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. 
And greater works than these will he do. Someone say, that's a promise. Why? Because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, someone say, whatever. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is him talking about the blessings of the new covenant. Whenever you walk with him and you express your love to him through obedience, he baptizes you in the Holy Ghost. And when you continue walking with him and and walking in his word step for step and, and living for him as best you can. And by the way, every time you stub your spiritual toe or fall down, you get right back up and you keep pressing forward. When you do that, this is what he talks about. You can expect answered prayer. You can expect to lay your hands on the sick and see them recover. You can expect to see God move in a supernatural way. It's a promise to us. And the problem is what I've seen in the past, and this is big on the name it and claim it. It's real easy to just identify a, uh, you know, the, the, it's called a, uh, Oh, what is that called? A straw man argument. You identify like the theoretical worst case and then point to them and say, they're, they're the ones doing it. But in reality, we all do this from time to time. But the problem is when people want to not walk according to the word or maybe walk according to some of it, but the part that we really want to hang on to, we're like, eh, I'm going to hang on to that. But yet, I'll prophesy that God's going to do this. And, and you know, I'll prophesy that what I just read, that Anything I ask in his name, you're going to do. And, and that greater works than these will you do because I'm in the Father. And because, you know, those things, well, if you're not expressing your love to God through obedience to his commands, you can't do that. A great example is in the book of, um, I think it's Philippians. And in chapter 4, he says, my God, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. And I've heard people prophesy this before. And that, that's good. That's, that's good. Prophesying is good. I'm definitely a proponent of prophesying. I've, I've experienced the power of it, and I think it's more powerful than we even realize, to be honest. But there is a structure in that book, and the people that he spoke that to, he says in chapter, I think, one or two, that they funded his mission or his, his ministry. They funded Paul's ministry. He said, you gave out of your lack to me. Like They were a poor church, and they were giving him anything he needed, and they were, you know, They didn't have much to give. And so what Paul is saying is because you are a giver, then I'm confident that my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Can we see that structure there? We can't negate the structure and stand and prophesy flat-footed and say, God, you're going to supply all my need, but yet i got a tight hand and I'm not giving anybody anything. But God, you're going to provide for me because your word says right here, God, can't you see your word says it? And he's saying, do you care enough to study? Do you care enough to dig into the word and understand it? Because there's always an if-then. There's always a structure that God wants us to understand so that we can be wise stewards of the word of God and position ourselves for spiritual success. God wants us to be used in this end day. He wants to be a wind at our back, and he wants us to be obedient to his scriptures. And if we truly love him, then we will dig into his scriptures and we will keep his commands. Amen. Acts 5.32 and we are witnesses of these things. And so if the, or excuse me, so, and so if the Holy Ghost, somebody pull Acts 5.32. I think I got a typo there. <clears throat> you got it? So 5.32. 
And we are witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. So who does God give the Holy Ghost to? Those that obey him. It's exactly what Jesus said in John 14. If you love me, obey my commands, and I'll send the promise of the Father. And so this is my personal taste. I'm not, I'm not going to stay here long. But when I'm in prison and I'm preaching to those guys, and I call for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, who wants it? I will, I will mention this, because this is the constraints of the gospel. This is the constraints right here. It says, if you love me, obey my commandments. They can be moved by a testimony. They can think, oh, that's cool. I want to speak in tongues. I want to have this cool supernatural experience. But if their heart doesn't belong to God through obedience, or at least a willingness to submit and be obedient, then they're wasting their time. And frankly, we're wasting our time praying for them. It's, it's through these constraints, and it's all over the Bible that for me in my life, when I came to God, I was baptized in the whole, or excuse me, I was baptized in Jesus' name. I had a guy that uh, immediately, this was ordered of God, he told me when I was in county jail that when they dunk you, because they came through doing baptisms, and they're doing it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like 99.9% of people. And he said, when they dunk you, you say in your heart, in the name of Jesus Christ. And so whenever I was baptized, obviously I did that in Jesus' name as I was going under. And God, that was a covenant that I was making with God. In Romans 6, this is a, the, or the circumcision made without hands. And so I entered into covenant with God. God began to speak to me through revelation and through visions and through dreams. Powerful things. He really did. I don't know if, if anybody doesn't believe that, but, but God absolutely did. And after a season of me expressing my love to him through obedience is when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so it was after a little bit of a season, and, and that's when he did it. Amen. So God is saying, if you will do your part, then I will loose my power into your life. To make a long story short, that's what this is all about. What God wants us to do, and the Lord... We still have 20 minutes, so I think we're actually going to be on time. So I have time for this. But I felt like what the Lord said is that we can't put the unseen blessing, if you could call it that, ahead of the, the command. And so the unseen blessing, somebody say, I guess I can start so you know what I'm talking about. But God says he'll make you head and not the tail. He'll make you above and not beneath. These are the things everybody wants. The whole world wants this. Atheists all around the globe want this. So what are, what are some of these unseen blessings? You guys can shout them out. It doesn't matter. Blessed coming and going. Amen. Yes, authority. Right. You know, I think it's summarized in, I want to say it's Ephesians, where Paul says that when you're baptized with the Holy Ghost, you have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavens, every single spiritual blessing. That's why when people tell me, well, that's an Old Testament blessing, and that's, that's, we're in a different dispensation. No, according to the Bible, we have access to every spiritual blessing. And so if it's in the Old Testament, guess what? It's ours, because we're, we're children of Abraham spiritually. Amen. So these are the things that everybody wants, but they're a byproduct of walking with God uh, in sincerity and obedience. So Jesus defines this in John 8, 31 and 32. So John chapter 8, 31, 32, someone say amen when you're there.
John 8, 31 and 32. Thirty-one. John eight, thirty-one and thirty-two. He says, If you abide in my word, someone say abide. That's what Pastor was talking about today, abiding. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Notice the if there. There's a lot of ifs. I don't like ifs. You know, ifs give me responsibility. Ifs make me have anxiety. So I'm like, okay, now there's something I have to do. I wish God would just do it all. I wish I could just pray a magical golden ticket prayer and everything was just added to me automatically. But there's a lot of ifs. He says, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So notice, this is what Pastor was talking about. He didn't use his scripture, but this is the principle he's talking about, that freedom and liberty is a process. I got this mixed up for a long time until pastor straightened me out. The truth shall set you free. That's, that's got a little bit more oomph to it, doesn't it? It's like hits a little bit sharper, but unfortunately that's not what it says. The truth will make you free. Jesus is saying, if you abide in my word and there's a process and in season and out of season, you're abiding with me through my word, then you're allowing me to shape you and mold you and make you free. And then he finishes it off, and I believe it's 36. He says, if the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And so this is a process. And it's important to understand that because we can remove ourselves from this process. It's kind of like, again, I'm reminded of a lot of what pastors preaches, but he talks about being a living sacrifice. And sacrifices, you can get up and walk off the altar. Like, yeah, I don't really want to do this today. So I'm just not going to be here today. I'll come back tomorrow. That's not how it works. And this is what I believe in this season. And by the way, that's why I said that this can be taken the wrong way. I literally was going to teach some old message because I was like, I can't. I don't want to be taken the wrong way. And this is just enough to me as it is to anybody else. But when pastors said what he said, I thought, this is of the Lord. He wants us to understand this. And it's a challenge. And it's something that, um, that he wants us to implement in our lives and just you know, raise the bar, if anything else. So, we have 14 minutes left. And I'm going to talk about 10 things. So, when we say the commands of Jesus, you know, when, in the Mosaic Law, when he says, if you obey my commands, it's like, okay, there's a lot of them, but I at least know and I'll go, and there's 613 of them, and if I really want to be diligent, I can write them all down, and like categorize them into food, categorize them into worship, categorize them into uh, you know, temple sacrifices, categorize them into sin offerings, categorize them into all these things. And then I can go through and I can memorize them and I can implement them in my life, which is what they're still doing over there. In my opinion, that's easier. Is it kind of a heavy workload? Yeah, it is. But it's easier because you at least just got black and white. Just this is what you do. This is what you don't do. There's no gray area. And so when Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands, while, of course, Jesus said many things that we need to be doing. You know, there's a lot that Jesus commands of us, but I think that that transcends even that. He's saying when you get the Holy Ghost and when you're living for me and when I speak to you to do things, you know, Jeremy may be called to, to consecrate something that God's okay with me doing it. And maybe I'm called to, to consecrate something that 
God doesn't mind pastor doing it. Has anyone ever had anything like that? I remember when God uh, told me to cut off caffeine completely, and I was convinced. This is right when I first got in church. I was convinced, man, coffee's sin. Like, you know, just like this zeal. And I'm like, you may remember this. I may have talked to you about it. But, but that's not the case. What's happening is God's seeing that, hey, you know, for this season, I want you to put a dagger in that and sacrifice that to me. I've got, some, got something for you this season. And so when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, it transcends just the written word, but it goes into the rhema. It goes into God speaking to you and telling you to do things and commanding you. You know, the other day I was eating and God told me, slow down. It's not running off. Your food's not going anywhere. You need to chill out. And so has anyone ever done that with food? Yeah. I get hungry. And God told me, you need to slow down. And by the way, that's harder than fasting. And especially when there's still a little bit of food on the plate and he says, okay, you're done. It's like, but Lord, I'm not, I don't want to be done. Like... <laughs> I really want that. That's, that is way harder than fasting. I would rather fast for two weeks than have to do that for two weeks. And, and so that's just a goofy example, but I thought of, I, I went into this prayerfully and I asked God to, to remind me of what are some commands in the scriptures that we need to do, that we need to be diligent in doing so that we can walk in these promises, so that we can walk in authority, so that we consistently uh, walk in that blessing of the Lord. Does anyone want that? You know, I wasn't at bot, but they were talking about saints uh, having anxiety and depression, and nobody wants to talk about it, right? I could be way out in left field. I heard somebody say that. So hopefully this isn't being recorded. You guys are like, no, what? You dream that. <laughs> yeah, okay. So... The point I'm making is, I believe God has an answer for that. When one of his babies is going through a bout of um, depression or, or dealing with anxiety or dealing with an unexpected bill that pops up, God has something in the scriptures that will, that will provide that blessing for you. And all we have to do is worry about loving him. Me and Jonathan were just talking about um, Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God makes it so easy. And so I asked God to remind me of some things. And, and the name of this class, anybody? What's the name of the class? So these are foundational commands that I believe that we can all implement or need to implement is as good as we can. And I promise you the spiritual reality will shift in your life. And some of these are easier for some than others, like the first one. Um, and I want you to listen to these if I forgot any. At the end, tell me, because I think what I'm going to do is for the rest of the year, every month, I'm teaching these once a month, I'm going to pick one of these, and we're going to go through them. And so the first one is the command to fellowship and community. Um, we don't have time to expound on these, but, but it's pretty clear that we're commanded to be hospitable. Now, for all my fellow introverts, this is a terrible command. This is something that's not fun. Um, for like Jeremy and Jenny, they're like, yeah, easy. I enjoy this. Like, I love that. I'm so glad that God asked that of us, and, and not everyone feels that way. And so, but it doesn't matter. That's the thing with God. If you're left brain, right brain, introvert, extrovert, it's irrelevant. It's a command, and you just obey it. And so the ones that are hardest to obey are probably the ones who are going to receive the greatest growth. And so the command of fellowship and community. So the second one, the command to be a soul winner, to make disciples. 
you know, this is self-explanatory, the Great Commission, um, but I think we can all try to have this on our mind uh, more consistently. And when you have an opportunity, you know, you have those random conversations where, man, you just got favor with this person, and they, you know, you're, there's a connection there. You know, that's for a purpose, and, you know, I believe that, that God wants us to, to win souls um, without a doubt, and I believe that, you know, Pastor talks about who receives the greatest growth, the teacher or the student. It's always the teacher. 100% it's the teacher, every single time, hands down. And, and so I believe that reach for a soul, there is such a powerful uh, growth in the love of God and in the, you know, what concerns God and something that gets softer on your heart and shifts in your own spirit. Um, that I think if we saw that side of it, that opportunity for growth, it'd be easier for us to get out of our comfort zone and do it more often. All God says is just do it. Um, but there's always a then on the back end of it. Amen. So number three, this is huge. The command to be thankful and to have gratitude. You know, this is something that, um, and we have eight minutes, so I have time to talk a little bit about them. Everyone on the planet wants to be sitting where you're sitting, or at least in the U.S. And spiritually, they want to be sitting where you're sitting, too. They just don't know it yet. But, you know, I, I go to school at OSU. Katie probably does, too, with a lot of students, like, from India or from Iran. And they are living the dream. They live in a tiny little studio apartment. They, you know, don't have any extra money at the end of the month. But they are so happy because it is literally their dream. They have to test at the top percent of their peers all the way through high school, and they have to, you know, earn it. Some of them have to get their bachelor's there and, and prove themselves there in order that they can come here and do a master's. And they just love everything about the U.S. Everybody in the world wants to be here, and me and you just have it. We're just born into it. And I think that there's probably a ratio of 10 to 1 of things to be grateful for of things to not be grateful about or, or to worry about or distress about. For some reason, it's in the brain, it's part of our fallen nature that it doesn't matter if I have 20 things. That one thing that I'm going to stress about or be ungrateful about, that one challenge or struggle, that's the thing I'm going to think about. The second my eyes open in the morning, I'm thinking about it. And some of you more than others. But I think we can all make a decision to be grateful and to be thankful and to meditate on things that we're thankful for and to talk to God about them. First thing in the morning, talk to God about being thankful for your spouse, being thankful for your children, being thankful for the car that you have or the home, the roof over your head. I mean, you ought to hear some of Dennis's stories. Do you guys know Dennis? He came a little bit. Be praying for him. He's kind of faded away a little bit. But, you know, some of the stories, he's, I mean, he's about to freeze to death out there in the elements, you know, in the, in the cold of winter. And meanwhile, we can be in our heated house and, and be sitting there with our arms folded, upset about the goofiest things. And God's like, just understand how blessed you are. You are so blessed. You don't even know it. And I believe that this, by the way, will, is sort of the catalyst for us to be love, for us to turn the other cheek, for us to pray for our enemies, for us to give a kind response to somebody that has a sharp tongue or cuts their eye at you and gives you a bad look or cuts you off in traffic. Because if I'm so thankful, I'm just so happy for my family. I'm so happy for my church family. I'm so excited about things God's doing. I'm so grateful about yesterday's victory that when somebody comes up doing something goofy, it's like, okay, sorry, excuse me. But if you don't have that, now all of a sudden that causes you to stop. 
is all intricately interwoven in a way that I can't perceive, um, but it, it truly is. And all we have to do is just, just obey. Simple as that. And we'll position ourselves for spiritual success on every side. The command, this is number four. The command to give liberally. To be a cheerful giver. The scriptures teach, um, you know, give and it will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I talked about the revelation in Philippians, where that church gave out of their poverty, and Paul concludes the book by telling them God's going to give it back to you according to his riches and glory. You know, you gave out of your poverty, the king of kings is about to give it back to you according to his resources. You know, the scriptures teach us to, to be, have our, and this isn't just money, but to have your head on a swivel on, on you know, uh, what are the scripture about, um, he who waters will himself be watered, and the soul shall be made fat. When you come into the house of God and you have issues and you've got you know, maybe an unexpected bill or you, you're in a uh, you know, bad position at work or whatever, when you come through those doors, you say, you know what, I don't care about all that. I am too blessed to be stressed about this, and I'm going to find somebody that I can water spiritually. I'm going to look for somebody that's drooping their shoulders. I'm going to look for somebody that's struggling, and I'm going to go lay my hands on them in the name of Jesus and pray and help pray them out of that circumstance. I promise you, when you have that mindset and you do that, God will go to bat for you. Amen. And so, number five, uh, the command to love. This is self-explanatory. This is easier said than done sometimes. Again, it depends on who you, you know, the the personality, I guess. Um, But the sort of catalyst for that, in my opinion, is gratitude. If you're walking in gratitude, it's much easier to love and overlook offenses. Uh, Number six, the command to rest. Now, some of you are like, yes, I got this one down. Check that box. Um, And some of you are thinking, no, I don't ever stop. And regardless of how you feel about it, it's a command. Jesus told the disciples when they came back to him, they're ranting and raving about uh, having authority and casting out devils and seeing the sick healed and, and all these things. And Jesus says, yeah, that's good. Now come away and rest a while. Let's go to a deserted place and let's rest. And so from the Sabbath day rest in the Old Testament, um, all the way through Jesus commanding rest and, and the rest that we have in him, um, we absolutely have to be diligent in having rest. This is, this is extremely important, and if you want to be, again, think what I'm talking about, about the unseen blessing. When God uh, commands these blessings and says that these are the things that you have and these are the things you have access to, um, you know, that's a big deal, making sure that you stay rested and uh, rest a, court, a biblical rest, which is tricky. We'll talk about that when we get there. Um, here's the big one. Seven, the command to take care of your body. That's a tricky one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was listening to a podcast, and how many of you know when you feel better spiritually, or excuse me, you feel better physically, you do better spiritually? This is not like a, this is a 100% for sure thing. Um, I was listening to a podcast, and it was this lady that wrote a book. She had her PhD, and she wrote it about um, the stomach. I don't know if it's about this, but anyway, she made a comment. She said the stomach is the second brain. And she said that even all the way back whenever you're being developed in the, in the womb of your mother, the brain and the stomach are actually one. And then as you develop, they, they separate. But she said that there's always a connection there. 
And so that old adage, you are what you eat, it turns out it's extremely true. And you can't neglect that. That is so important. That is so, so, so important. And it's, again, some people, it may be harder for than others, but the principle is true. It's something to be aware of, and, um, and God wants to help us with that. All right, so number eight, the command to have a bridled tongue. This is huge. We have one minute, so I'm not going to talk anymore about these, but watch your mouth. Watch what you speak. Use your words intentionally. It's not just what not to say. It's what to say. Prophesy. I'm telling you, when I started prophesying this past after Spirit of Antioch um, and connecting with God to the vision that he gave me about Israel, it was like two weeks, and I get a call from Israel, and they're like, hey, we're going to fly you out. Um, you got, you know, X, this X, Y, and Z happened, and we're going to fly you out and train you to do this. I'm telling you, it was like the biggest revelation that, you know, I could have understood at that moment because God truly wants us to align ourselves to fulfill his calling on our lives by prophesying and speaking it, using your words intentionally. It can be a wind at your back. You know, if, if it's inspired by the Holy Ghost, it has the power to create in this realm. Um, and I'm a Nobody can talk me out of that after that experience. Got to watch what we speak, negative, and, and also uh, speak intentionally. Um, number nine, and the last one I have, if anybody else has something to add, please, please, please add it. Um, but number nine is the command to walk in faith and reject fear. We all have insecurities. There's always going to be an opportunity to have fear. But what I've found walking for God in just this short amount of time that I have is that fear is a bluff. Fear is literally a bluff. It's fake. It's a facade. It's, it's like a, it's a complete, it's, it's empty. It's the, you know, Goliath in the valley shouting all these things, scaring everyone half to death. But when one person steps out against him, God's right there ready to go. And we have to, if you haven't had that revelation, you've got to have the revelation. At CR one day we were talking about how what you fear is probably a signpost of God saying, come on. This is actually exactly what you have to go past to get where I'm calling you to. And if you, does anyone know what I'm talking about when I say fear is a bluff? If you've called the bluff of fear, you've seen the thing that I feared, you know, uh, the cool acronym for it is false evidence appearing real. It's just a complete lie and it has you talked in and paralyzed to not move. But if you'll just move anyways, you'll see God's with you. All right, so before we close, did I miss anything? Any commands that, that is, like, glaringly obvious? I was kind of a little uh, worried that I'm like, I'm probably missing something so obvious. Does anybody have anything? I think uh, something that the Lord has spoken to me about a lot is uh, keeping that meek, meek attitude and remembering where he brought you from. Because when you start getting touched by the anointing and the power of God, you quickly in your mind can feel like you're something special, but really you're really not. He doesn't need you. He he allows you to be used and that's special. And you keep that meek attitude. You can go a lot farther than if you get lifted up and proud, it would destroy you. All right. So I just added that meekness and humility, or I guess the fruits of the spirit, right? Pastor. So, amen. That was the obvious one that I forgot. Absolutely. That is important. Okay, so let's stand. 
I felt like God gave me a sort of like a, a I don't, I'm not going to call it a vision, but I saw uh, something just, I guess, in my own heart, and he showed me that something I want to share with you. So when God gives you a vision, does anyone feel like they've got a vision that God's given them? Uh, shown you your own promised land. You know, shown you what you were created in your mother's womb to do. Raise your hand high. Don't act like you're ashamed of it. If God's shown you, if not, it's okay. All right, so when God gives you a vision, it is like him handing you a seed. And imagine God putting a little small seed in the palm of your hand. That's what that vision's like. When the fulfillment of the vision is an actual forest. Your promised land, he shows you hundreds and thousands of trees. And he says, okay, now here's this vision. It's like this seed. The Bible is your instruction manual on how to turn a seed into a forest. These are the commands. This is the way he's showing you. So the ball is in our court to plant that seed and to water it. The ball is in our court to then harvest the fruit that that tree produces and get those seeds and you know, understand how to plant them and, and study and understand what we need to do with those seeds and then again plant those into the ground next spring. And then duplicate that process whenever my 10 trees come up and I'm going to collect the fruit and I'm going to gather and I'm going to be diligent in doing what I believe God told me and showed me. The burden remains on us to be diligent with the vision God gave us. Now, he will bless your seed. He will bless your harvest. He will bless you every step of the way. He'll, he'll lead you to what you need to know and he'll be, you know, the strength in your back to do it. But make no mistake about it. He will not plant those seeds for you. He will not water them for you. He will not give you more seed. So this is exactly what I believe God wants us to understand is that when I say yes to the call of God, I'm saying yes to a lot of work. And I don't care. I'm going to be straight about it because it is not easy. Is it easy, Pastor? Is it easy, Jonathan? Anybody? Has anyone had an easy path? Maybe you can come up here and teach the next one. It's not easy. You look at the disciples, was, there, was fulfillment of their call easy? I'm reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. They died horrific, horrific deaths. And it's not easy, but there's nothing else worth doing. And, and I believe that God wants to help us to do these things, but we have to dig into his word. I feel like the will of God is paved with obedience to his commandments. If you just don't, don't worry about, what am I supposed to do in the season? Do I go this way? Do I go that way? Don't worry about it. When you feel that, open up your Bible, find a commandment and do that. And you're going to stay on the path. The psalmist said that he will magnify the narrow path beneath our feet. And that's exactly what he wants to do through his word. Amen. I'm going to skip over some things. Let's read a scripture and we'll close out. Psalm 119, verse 130 to 131. This is a man of God. It's the man after God's own heart. And he says, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Notice this. This is why I pointed this out. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. This is a man of God that is a mature saint, and he is still panting after the word of God, panting after the commandments, and praising God that it brings light. Is anyone thankful for the word of God? Why don't we pray right now and tell God how thankful we are for his word. Lord Jesus, thank you, God. We thank you for the blessing of your word, Lord Jesus. Your word says that you will remind us, God, through your Holy Ghost of what you've spoken to us, God. If we've stepped over anything, God, that you've commanded, I pray, Lord, that you would remind me of it, God. 
Lord, we seek to please you. We seek to express our love to you through obedience to your commands, God. I pray a spirit of revelation would fall in this house this very moment, God, that a spirit of understanding and wisdom would be loosed into our hearts, God, that we would see and know your word, Lord Jesus, that we would understand what you're calling us to in this season, Lord, that you would give us submissive and meek hearts that are willing to reject the flesh, God, and chase after you, Lord. Stir in us, God, a, a love and a desire and a burden for your word, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Chris. Amen. Wasn't that good tonight? Amen. Very thankful for that lesson, and we need that in our lives. And uh, thank you for coming tonight. Um, we will be having a spare meeting. You, you probably know who.